0: This is Barry Fitzgerald, Perro, columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Now we're heading over to WA down Esperance Way where we have OD6 Metals. That's OD6 Metals. Trades under the code, funnily enough, OD6. Last traded at around 23 cents for a market cap fully diluted of a little over $31 million. Now a lot of people are onto this one because of the uh, a recent mineral resource estimate at the uh, the key project, which is uh, Splinter Rock, uh, large-scale clay-hosted rare earths. The company's uh, achieved a lot since it listed in June 2022 in an $8 million IPO. And leading the way for us today is Brett Hazelden, the Managing Director and CEO. G'day Brett, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Barry, thanks for having us.
0: Uh, Brett, uh, given the company's a a relatively new listing, you've obviously achieved a lot, we'll get onto the MRE, resource estimate in a minute, but just give us a bit of a feel for the the genesis of the company.
1: Yeah, so the company was founded by three smart geos once upon a time, uh, only sort of just over 12 months ago, but uh, effectively what they were doing was mining partner mines and petroleum database in Western Australia, looking for Things that weren't sexy once upon a time, um, like Rare Earths and uh, where people had had some reasonable hits. And they'd obviously come across this one and they have obviously come across other things as well. So, But uh, this one looked really good and uh, formed the company from that and then have taken it on to be an IPO. So uh, from mining the databases to hopefully mining a Rare Earth um, show near Esperance.
0: I mentioned the... Mineral resource estimate has been released. Can you run us through that?
1: Yes, I made a mineral resource estimate. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, we only listed in June last year, so we've done a fair few rounds of drilling, uh, metallurgy tests, etc. But it's all culminated in 344 million tonnes at 1,308 parts per million total rare earth oxide. And we've used uh, a 1,000 part per million cutoff grade, uh, which is quite high, but that's where we think the economics of any of these clay hosted shows are going to sit. You're going to need a a thousand parts per million and above to actually uh, make some money.
0: Yes, a thousand parts per million very interesting, given that there are some out there reporting uh, MREs based on sub one thousand parts per million. So
1: yeah, look, we sort of um, we looked at the, the economics around it, and we just thought, look, that's the the way where it's going to have to sit to uh, obviously pay for acid, pay for obviously West West Australian labor rates and everything else, and obviously capital costs going forward, um, and it, seems to work at our level, so we'll see how it all turns out.
0: And in the mineral resource estimate, what did you say about the all-important uh, magnet uh, REOs?
1: Yeah, so the magnet REOs, so there's the four main elements there, so the NDPR and dysprosium Um, So they are all going into electric vehicles and uh, wind turbines, etc. but that comes in at 23%, which is pretty high for the industry. You might get a bit higher every now and again, but generally that's uh, at the higher end of it all. Um, so we're really happy with that and that's where 90% of the value will come from when we actually mine it uh, with the remaining 11 uh, rare earth elements probably only making up 10%. Now the
0: 344 million tons a great start do you have uh, you eyeing off growth in the resource estimate?
1: Uh, We are indeed so the resource estimate was really based on less than 5% of our clay targets so we did this thing called a airborne electromagnetic survey uh, once upon a time uh, late, late last year and uh, it's a million dollar survey and really what it's done is it's opened our eyes as to where we should be targeting all our drill results and where the clay basins actually sit just for the quick sort of background on the geology what's happened is the granites that have formed in the esperance area have then been eroded into clays uh, into the valleys and everything else and then they form these clay basins and the clay channels the aem survey that we've done has then been able to identify and differentiate between the granites and the clays And we've identified 250 square kilometres of clay basins in the areas that really sort of make up our main four deposits. So uh, the last drilling program we did had a 90% success rate on actually hitting clays and uh, getting good grades. So uh, we've got a new program out there as we speak, uh, a 10,000 metre program, which is going to almost double the amount of drilling we've done to date and really focused in on um, expanding the length and width of these uh, prospects. So we're looking forward to getting some more results out to the market coming forward and also expanding that mineral resource over the next six to 12 months
0: is there a, a target mre that you're you're
1: after i think uh, 344 million tons is probably not a bad start but what we're really targeting is the best we call it the best of the best but since it's such a big location we might find that there's a, a higher grade zone out there that we should be starting with as our starting mining pit or a better metallurgical zone that has really really high recoveries or a a zone that's got um, lower acid usages, etc., or uh, stripping ratios. So for us, it's about sort of just being a little bit diligent and making sure that we hit the best areas uh, for where a starting pit will be. That'll enhance all your paybacks, get rid of your capital as quickly as possible. And um, then, obviously, you've got plenty of time to make lots of money after that.
0: Yeah, take your point on the 344 million tonnes too. It does rank you as Australia's highest grade and largest clay-hosted mineral resource.
1: Bigger than anyone else, but... um, if we look at, say, IXR, for example, they put out a feasibility study um, early this year, late last year. I can't remember when it was now, but they were looking at 5 million tonnes per annum um, at a head grade of around 800 ppm. So what it sort of says to us is that's where we need to sit for economics, so those 5 million plus tonnes per annum. And obviously, we've got a higher head grade, so we should already be about 50% um, ahead on the revenue.
0: We'll get onto the all-important metallurgy in a, a second, but I just wanted to ask... One thing I have noticed with some of these clay-hosted deposits projects in Australia is that you might be getting one, two metre sort of thicknesses. I can't see the situation where governments, local authorities would be allowing people to essentially strip mine hundreds and hundreds of hectares. So I was just wondering what the sort of uh, intersections you're getting at... Cementer
1: rock. Yeah, so we get anywhere between 10 and 80 metres in thicknesses. Uh, the areas that we're probably going to be concentrating on, especially around centre, are sort of in the order of 60 to 70 metres uh, and also a little bit higher grade, so 1,400 to 1,700. Um, getting those thicknesses and only being sort of 10 to 15 metres uh, below cover means your stripping ratio is lower, uh means you're not having the same environmental footprint, as you mentioned, lots and lots of hectares being cleared. Um, And we're not on farmland either. So um, from that point of view, we're not affecting the farmers. I've got a little farm myself and um, uh, uh, I'd I'd like uh, people off my farm and uh, just keep on doing it as well. So uh, is that unusually thick? It is unusually thick, yeah. So a lot of the people around are reporting 2 to 10 metre thicknesses. So I think what we're getting is just a really it's an enriched zone so this is covering 250 square kilometers so it's massive
0: i'm just wondering given those sort of depths are you seeing any uh change in the grade profile across those sort of thicknesses
1: occasionally we'll see a little bit of a lower grade sitting above the uh, high grade zones but again at our, splint, uh, our center prospect um we've got stuff that really kicks straight into a thousand plus ppm trio uh, within 10 meters of surface and some of them are Getting closer to surface as that.
0: Now, I understand you were a metallurgist?
1: Yep, metallurgist and chemist once upon a time. Um, so, uh, the joys of um, the sins of all that.
0: Right, so you're just the man I should be asking, what's the metallurgy of this project looking like?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's a whole debate about ionic, non ionic, and all of those things. So, really, what makes up most of these so we've obviously got a difference between hard rock and soft rock or clays. So, the hard rock guys are the Linus, the uh, Hastings, and the Arafuras of the world. Uh, They've got a higher grade, um, so they're sitting about 1% or 2% uh, trio, whereas we're sitting about 0.1%, 0.15% trio. But the difference in the metallurgy and the treatment processes of these are quite different. So if we just look at the basics, uh, we don't need to crush it and grind it um, or stick it into a big furnace at a a certain temperature. We can actually just pretty well free-dig these things and then put it into a leaching process. Now, the leaching process will target uh, the three different types of Uh, minerals within the clay, if you want to put it that way. So there's always a a small ionic portion of it that we're seeing throughout Australia and a lot of these other um, clay-hosted shows around the world as well. And that's somewhere between 10 and 20%. But, look, that's not necessarily going to be economic. So you need to then go to the easily acid-soluble stuff, which is throw sulfuric acid or even hydrochloric acid in there, and that leaches quite readily at ambient temperatures and also pressures. And then there's a portion that I'll call refractory, a bit like gold mining. Um, There's a whole heap of stuff that's in a monazite or something that just won't extract either through acid or anything else unless you stick it and heat it right up in a high-temperature furnace. So we're looking at that, obviously, the ionic portion plus the acidic um, um, acid-soluble portion, and um, we're getting recoveries there. Uh, Anyway, we're up to 96%, but on average, around that 60 to 70% um, mark. And we've got a whole heap of work at ANSTO at the moment that's just looking to optimise and refine that. We might trade off a little bit of uh, recovery for a little bit lower acid consumption. But we also need to look at all these clays because they do have, even within our um, different portfolio of uh, prospects out there, they all react a little bit different, either a little bit better in terms of ionic or a little bit better with acid or... Uh, a whole heap of different factors in there.
0: So at this early stage, um, and given your background, is it safe to say that you um, can see a clear pathway to come up with a, well, each project will need its own flow sheet, but a cost-effective way of extracting this uh, the, the REEs that you've got at uh, Splinter Rock?
1: Yeah, look, most of the, surprising enough, most of the flow sheets for most of these places will be very, very similar. So the normal... Uh, excavate it transport it what we're finding is uh, and a lot of other people are now reporting it as well is that um, you can actually upgrade uh, so by screening the clays and removing the coarse fraction from the clays you can actually upgrade the grade and also treat less tons in total through a processing facility um, by removing that coarse fraction so you can remove about say 40 of the total material and then you don't have to put that into an acid leach um, process And even if you're going into ionic, you then need to still put it into tanks, uh, the clays that is. Um, You either add your ammonium sulphate if it's a pure ionic show, which is the only one I've seen in the world to date other than some in China is probably the MEI resource. But everyone else is taking the pH from four down to one. And as soon as you take the pH down from 4 to 1, you're not an ionic show really. You're, you're really chasing that acid um, soluble process.
0: And that's when you get in hydrochloric stage, is
1: it? So it's a bit like, uh, to a large extent, again, compare it to gold. Um, you stick it in gold, in your you know, gold ores into tanks. Uh, we're doing the same thing here. Instead of using cyanide, we're using acid. Then what we look to do is we look to uh, separate the solids from the liquids once it's all been leached out into the lo- solution, and then we remove any of the impurities. So that would be Aluminium and ions, um, and if you've got any um, radioactive elements, you want to remove those as well. We've got really, really minor sort of part per million um, level uh, uranium and thorium, so that's easy enough to remove. And then you precipitate it out to uh, a final mixed rare earth carbonate. And then if we really get serious, we might uh, then take it to the next step step where we um, remove uh, each individual uh, rare earth oxide and be able to send sell, sell a, a magnetic rare earth oxide effectively by itself.
0: There have been some uh, tax dollars in Australia being uh, directed to uh, refineries. Um, do you, are there any potential benefits for you from that sort of uh, infrastructure build we're seeing?
1: At- yeah, so Luca's obviously got some money there. Um, the front end of that plant uh, wouldn't be useful for us because they're effectively taking that to refractory monazites from um their mineral sand shows and uh, wherever else, um, we don't need to worry about that. We'll actually give them potentially, if we were looking at it, uh, a mixed rare earth carbonate. So we will go into their back end of the plant and then um, effectively what would happen is then they would, if we went down the path, is you would look to separate it into the individual rare earth oxides. So there's a potential benefit there, but uh, obviously we've got to talk to Aluka and uh, we've obviously got to get the process right as well.
0: Well, let's hope with the... Uh the free kick they've got from the Australian taxpayer, well, cheap, uh, lower-cost funding, that uh, their door is open. Um, Now, I guess your main competitor is southern China. Can this project uh, be competitive uh, against what they achieve?
1: Look, I think our grades uh, are at least as good, if not better, than southern China. I think from that point of view, yes. Uh, We've obviously got the Western costs in terms of all our labour rates are a little bit different, and uh, probably your environmental policies are a little bit different. But really what we're seeing in the market at the moment, especially with the United States IRA policy that's coming out, is there's a big move to westernise uh, the rare earth supply chain. So instead of us selling it to China, um, sell it into new facilities being built in America or Europe. Um, and uh, the incentives there, especially for the likes of Tesla or the wind turbine guys, is um, if they don't get uh, a certain amount of Uh, say, rare earths or battery minerals, etc., from uh, a non-Chinese company, then they actually can't get the $7,000 subsidies that uh, they're getting on each of the cars. So, look, I think there's a a big incentive and a big push to actually westernise the whole supply chain. That's going to occur over the next five to seven years. So uh, we'll see where all that leads.
0: Now, your location. Um, apart from the wind. Well, I suppose you might actually consider wind power at some stage, but uh, Esperance, uh, obviously a port for asset supplies and other things you might need. A good place to be developing a project?
1: Yeah, a good place. We've had great support from the local shire and a lot of the people. We've got my exploration manager actually living in Esperance as well, so from that point of view, it's good. Uh, The port is a big port. There's iron ore going out of it. Uh, There's obviously all the wheat uh, cereals, canola, etc., going out of there as well. Uh, and what we'd we'll be looking at putting out is sea containers, and there's a sea container ship um, going out. In terms of the acid, we actually wouldn't be importing acid. Uh, our plan would be to use a, a chloroalkali process. Uh, and That chloroalkali process effectively takes salt, so maybe 50 to 100,000 tonnes of salt a year we might bring in uh, either through the port or via the road. Um, we we'll would use the wind power that uh, is obviously already down there along with a bit of solar um, and then add some water and then suddenly you get hydrochloric acid that you can use um, out of that whole process. But importantly, you get a base as well so that you can neutralise that acid at the end of the day um, so you can put um, the clays back to where it came from, uh, obviously, in a better form. Uh, but equally, when you're trying to purify out and precipitate out these rare earth carbonates and uh, rare earth oxides, Actually, need to raise the pH to be able to precipitate out those anyway. So, for us, it's about getting looking at the the whole process and what you're going to need from a reagent at each step. And uh, we think that chloroalkali process is going to be really beneficial to us, especially if we can uh, use local salt and uh, local power, or wind power. The power.
0: one thing that. Um Puzzles me, Brett, is that if this project was, I don't know, in, say, the West Arunta or Outback Queensland, you might have a a market cap of a couple of hundred million. And I mentioned uh, you're fully diluted at about 31 million. So is there... do you have any explanation for that sort of difference?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. I've looked at it myself. Uh, we're expecting with this uh, mineral resource estimate to come out uh, a bit of a kick up there. Some of our peers in the industry, AR three out of South Australia, they're fifty million dollars. IXR, out of um, they're out of, they've got a sixty percent project in um, Africa. Uh, they're sitting ninety odd million. Uh, and if you look at an uh, enterprise value per resource tonne, we should be sitting 100, 150 million tonnes, uh, $150 million, I should say. So, look, I think the market is still coming to grips with what we've got, uh, trying to understand, is the process economic? Uh, we think with that chloroalkali process being based in uh, Esperance and doing it all on there, it will be economic. Uh, our acid consumption numbers are pretty low uh, comparatively. Uh, I think the market just needs to get their head around it and we're either very, very undervalued or the other guys are very, very overvalued, one of the two.
0: Okay, just a a general broad question. The, uh, <coughs> the rare marks market's taken a bit of a hit, come back $60 a kilo sort of stuff. Um, what's your view of uh, the market from here?
1: Well, interesting enough, uh, Adam has just sent out an update today on um, the actual forward-looking prices. And yes, the, the numbers have come back, but uh, they're actually still maintaining prices are going to be back up above that $100 a tonne marked for NDPR, um, and what's driving that? Well, it's a big demand increase from electric vehicles, so it goes into the, the motors, not into the batteries. Uh, it goes into wind turbines and motors, so this, the, the magnets that go are formed from magnetic rare earths are so 10 times to 14 times stronger than normal iron-based uh, magnets, so hence they get really, really good efficiencies. That means your Tesla can go from 300Ks to 500Ks or your wind turbine is much more efficient into converting the wind into power. So the demand's forecast to increase threefold by 2035. That needs about another 10 to 12 new mines to come online to actually meet that demand. And uh, obviously with a push to westernise the process, um, uh, hopefully we're in the box seat to be one of those.
0: You mentioned Tesla there, done wonderful things for the the battery market, but... uh Elon Musk has uh, suggested he might be able to substitute rare earths out in the, in the process. But um, do you think that's uh, actually achievable, possible?
1: Uh, it's definitely achievable. So you use an iron magnet, but um, you get um, a lower, obviously, uh, mileage. So you can't go the 500 kilometres that I can. I've got a Tesla myself, so I know I can get down to Margaret River in my Tesla in one charge. Um So I wouldn't get that with a normal uh, magnet. But what he'd have to do is he'd have to put a bigger battery in there. So it's equally, if he doesn't get the content uh, from the IRA point of view, he doesn't get his $7,500 discount from the government. So I think uh, in the short term, he may uh, use iron magnets, but in the long term, uh, people are going to want to see a 1,000 kilometre uh, distance rather than a three or 400 kilometre distance.
0: All right, Brett. Um, so where to from here?
1: Yep, so we've got uh, drilling happening as we speak. Uh, I sort of mentioned that earlier. So we've got a new 10,000 metre program that's about 60% complete at the moment. We're looking for that to sort of wrap up in the next three or so weeks. Uh, we'll have a whole heap of good um, drill results is what we're expecting. We're seeing very similar depths and clays. Don't obviously know what the grades are, but um, we're expecting something good there. That will then lead to a, a future mineral resource upgrade. Uh, We've got a whole heap of work at ANSTO and CSIRO at the moment, so two big government organisations there, the big research organisations. So that's both on metallurgy but also how is this all formed, where's the best locations, what's the thicknesses of these clays, can we map them a little bit easier? So those results will come out. And uh, we're looking forward to getting an R&D return from the government as well going forward um, and plenty of other results as we go. Obviously, a a study at some stage popping out to say um, how good the numbers look
0: there. We go, folks. Very interesting story, and it's the 31 million dollar market cap. Don't want to hark on it. Tells us, this. uh, overlooked at the moment, but uh, as Brett said, this uh, the first MRE is out, more to come on that front, nutting out the metallurgy. And uh, we are talking about Australia's uh, highest grade and largest clay hosted deposit. So, Brett, thanks for your time today and uh, for being patient there with uh, some of the explanations on some of the more technical aspects of what can be quite an opaque industry. So thanks for that. Good luck with it all. We'll be watching with interest.
1: Beautiful. Thanks for your time.
0: Cheers.